part of that light bulb moment was, you know, we thought, okay, you guys have built this short-term rental portfolio and I had dabbled in short-term rental and we got this multi and we both love the multifamily space. And we said, well, what happens if we put those two things together? Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Hello, this is Chad Harris, your host for today's episode. All right, welcome everybody. I have an awesome interview here today. We have two guests, Cassidy Hellriggle, Justin Statton, and they are with Everstar Investments. And so you're going to be amazed about the numbers uh, that they've been able to uh, purchase and actually the profits. And we're going to get into all of those details soon enough um but first of all just welcome guys thanks for joining us yeah thanks yeah, for having me. happy to be here all right so we talk all the time cassidy i've known you for i don't know four years or so and yeah. uh, gotten lots of of stories over the years but what was your what was your start in real estate when did you first start thinking about it what was that beginning like yeah, so I started, um, well, I grew up doing construction. Uh, my family has a construction company. My dad, you know, he does foundations, basements, moves houses. So really started out, um, I got a free house um, um, from my dad because he was moving it for um, a farmer. And they were building a house right behind their, their other house. So we moved their old house out, put it in the city and started fixing it up. So we did everything in there. We did the electrical, the plumbing, Built a full basement underneath of it, you know, poured the concrete and everything, and then just went through the whole house, ripped out all the plaster, put new drywall in, uh, new kitchens, new baths, new floor, everything. So we did the whole house, even moved in another garage in the, into the property as well. Um, new roof, uh, put a porch on the front of it. So after that, you know, then I kind of, you know, said, hey, you know, real estate's, you know, pretty amazing what you can do with it. If you take something that's, you know, somebody's ready to destroy and throw away and you make it into, you know, uh, you know, a hundred plus thousand dollar asset, you know, it's, it's valuable to somebody. So that, that got me thinking, if I can do this you know, to one property, what can you do with others? And then I started, you know, buying foreclosures, living in them, fixing them up and then, um, and then selling them. And then, you know, started, you know, once, once we started having kids, my wife said, you know, we're not going to do this in the house anymore. We need to start a business doing that. So we started with houses and then finally on the apartments and then kind of went from there. So that's kind of how I got my start, you know, just small scale doing everything myself and then slowly ramped up um, and then kept going from there. And it's, it's, it's amazing. Really excited about where the, uh, the business is going and, and what we can do from this point on. We're just, I feel like we're just finally breaking into where we need to go. And it's just going to be these, this next year, especially is just going to be amazing. That's awesome. So those, the uh, early deals, and when you were first getting started, your parents were familiar with the construction. Did they understand right, real right. estate too? Were they all for it or encouraging or what was that like? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm unfortunate. My, my parents were very, um, you know, supportive of what I was doing. Didn't really have a lot of real estate um, experience. So just kind of learned how to do that. Um, got my wife involved with real estate too. She has her license now. So she helps with the buying and the selling you know, just kind of making that a, you know, more of a family business now. So um, it's amazing what we can do, you know, as a group in the community and kind of build that out from there. Sure. 
and your your early deals. I know you've bought <clears throat> single family homes, small multifamilies. Yep. You've done a number of flips. How did you typically fund those along the way? Yeah, so I mean, I started out um, funding everything myself through, you know, if I bought a foreclosure, you know, I'd save some money and fix it up with my own money and then sell it. But when I'm trying to scale, you know, I couldn't do that. So I found other people that you know, kind of had a, a like-minded vision with me and then asked them like, hey, you want to, you know, be involved in this project with me? I can help you out, you know, give you a return on your money and uh, do it that way. So it's just kind of like, you know, it started out with my community um, and my friends, my network there and kind of grew that out. So it was just, just basically telling everybody that I knew what I was doing. Like, hey, I'm involved in real estate, flipping houses you know, look at this, you know, here's this before picture, here's this after picture. We're basically showing, you know, basically a portfolio of my work of what I've been doing and how amazing it was. They're like, oh, that's amazing. You know, I always, you know, was interested in real estate. You know, how can I get involved in that? Like, oh, it's amazing. Yeah, you know, come and come and see my project. And, you know, if you got a little bit of money, you know, we can put it in here, we can grow this thing. So just, just talking to people back and forth, that's really how I started out growing, you know, you know, from, from my little, little house that I lived in to, you know, a portfolio of houses and apartments. Just telling people, just spreading the word. Basically. Yeah, I think that's that's a, a great point that you don't have to be a salesman or like have this right. perfect pitch worked out or. Nope. Um, just let people know what you're doing, you know, yeah. they want to know your story. Yeah, just share your story, tell your story, convey your passion and people exactly. naturally will be drawn to you when you're passionate about it. But also because we're in real estate, people are just yep. naturally drawn to real estate, whether that's. Right. GTV or what? I don't know, but everybody, you know, is interested <laughs> right? in real estate. So, yeah, you know, I think that's a key point. Just um, don't be shy about your work and your passion for real estate, and pe you'll find people who want to get involved and help you with exactly. That. Very true. So, what about you, Justin? What was your beginning in real estate? How'd you get your start? And what was the time frame like? How long ago was it? Yeah, so I got my start in real estate when I was active duty in the Air Force. I got stationed in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I bought a house down there and then moved back to Ohio, and I kept that house as a rental. And then when I moved back to Ohio, I bought another house here, and then within a couple months, I had bought a third house. So I had two, two rentals, one in Little Rock, one in Ohio. Uh, and then I ended up owning a commercial building in a small town here in Ohio uh, due to a business that I was involved with. Uh, and I held those for about four or five years. And that's, that was about uh, 10, 15 years ago now, I guess. Uh, and that was my introduction to real estate. I didn't even really know what I was doing. Uh, I had no experience kind of like Cassidy. Uh, I just was always told that was a good thing to do is have rentals. And so that's what I tried to do. And it all kind of happened uh, by accident in a way. Um, and I held those for a few years and then eventually sold them. But that's where I got the bug in real estate. And then I uh, went on with a large um, uh, real estate investment company where I learned the commercial space, the commercial multifamily space, uh, and then started developing that side. Uh, and that's when I knew, when I made that transition, that's when I knew real estate is what I wanted to do uh, for a career as a business, et cetera. Okay. When you were, you know, first just having your residence and then turning it into a rental and then having another rental in Ohio and eventually getting that commercial building. Were the people around you, did they understand what you were doing? Did they think you were kind of crazy leaving your equity in those properties? 
Um, what, what were the thoughts of the people around you? Yeah, it was a mixed bag. Uh, I think those that were closest to me thought I was the craziest. Um, they just thought it was too risky, you know, that I was uh, possibly making a mistake uh, having all those payments as they would talk about. Uh, but those that I was close to in the business circles that I ran in thought it was you know, smart investment and smart things to do. So it was a mixed bag, really. Uh, they ended up all working out really well and they made money on all three deals. Um, but I, I didn't really know, like I said, I didn't really know what I was doing back then. So the, the success I did have from it was uh, almost happenstance, if you will. Well, that's awesome. So I know there are a lot of people probably listening who have felt like maybe they have a couple rentals and they feel like they stumbled into it, you know, whether they moved and kept it as a rental or whatever reason. And I'm sure they, there are plenty of people who can relate to hearing both sides, hearing people kind of criticizing or questioning, you know, why are you doing this? Um, Are you sure you're doing the right thing? And the, the other side that are respect what you do and are encouraging for you personally, how'd you, kind of put aside the naysayers and and stick it out with your properties? Um, I just believed in it. I, I saw the money coming in. I saw the cash flow. You know, I had a net positive cash flow on every one of those deals every single month. Uh, so there was plenty enough money to pay the bills, pay the taxes, pay the mortgage, and I still had money left over. So that alone was enough to ignore the naysayers and say, well, I'm, I'm making money. I'm paying down uh, the debt, I'm, I'm gaining equity in these properties. So if I do ever sell them someday, I'm, I mean, it was simple math type stuff, just looking at it common sense wise. Uh, so that was real easy to quiet the naysayers in my head and not, you know, possibly make a bad real estate decision and get rid of something or, or, or whatever. Uh, so it was just seeing the numbers, you know, and I, I knew that, you know, two plus two equal four and that's all I needed to know. So. Okay. So in essence, not going with your emotions, yes, but just being, you know, sticking to the numbers. And as long as the numbers are good, keep going in that direction, right? The only fear I actually had back then was, you know, everybody talks about taking on debt and taking on debt. And I thought, well, you know, if I ever really want to go buy my own house that I'm going to live in, I may not be able to get that loan because I've taken on all this debt. Uh, but you know, I was just a novice at the time. I didn't understand debt service cover ratios and all that, which I'm sure maybe we'll talk a little bit about today. Um, so had I known now what I, you know, didn't know then I would have kept buying and, and kept getting in more in the commercial space and probably some single family residentials. Uh, but that, that was really the only fear I had back then was, Oh, am I going to overextend myself? Or I'm going to take out too many loans. And then the bank's going to tell me no, uh, and then that never actually materialized. So, yeah, well, I know for me in the early years that it was day to day. One day I was like, I'm going to conquer the world and this is the greatest business ever. And then the next day it's like, I'm done. I'm selling it all. I'm sick of it. You know, I'll, t- I'll go get a job, any job. Right. Well, it's funny too. It's like, you know, I didn't run into any of those horror stories that, you know, we often run into managing properties and, and having tenants and units. And I just, I had really good tenants. I, you know, I had a property management company that was managing the day to day. So, you know, I didn't go through any of those uh, bad experiences then either. Now, maybe if I had, I'd be a little more reluctant to not, you know, keep doing it or keep going. But I literally was, almost pure luck and happenstance that I had successful outcomes with those. 
because uh, I you know, legit didn't ha- know what I was doing, but I also wasn't having all the bad experience often associated when you're running this as a business. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if, even if you have a bad experience, I just think it's a good reminder that our emotions will fluctuate. You know, there'll be days we're scared. There'll be days when we're excited and that's just being human. That's life, you know? So, but the numbers over time don't lie. So if you can go back and look at the numbers, you can, can see tangibly that this business is working. We're making profit. I'm moving in the right direction. Um, that's that's a, a good step for anybody struggling with, should I keep going? Should I not? Is this business worth it? Right. So, and if you can make it through the early years, I mean, down the road, <laughs> it's well worth it. <laughs> you know, you, you should keep going. Yes, keep so, going. All right. So you also said you worked for a uh, commercial real estate company. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. And what was your role with them or what, what, what did that involve? Yeah. So I was on the acquisitions team there. So part of my responsibilities were to identify properties for the firm to buy, acquire. Um, these We were looking in 14 different markets across the United States. Uh, we typically only looked at class A assets and class A areas. Uh, anything that ranged from 200 to 400 units. Um, so it was my job to go boots on the ground, uh, see the property, evaluate the property, meet with the property management team that was currently in place. Uh, and come up with what we thought was a good number to acquire that property. Uh, what would we pay for this property? Uh, and then I would be responsible for putting all those deal points together and uh, making sure we got it to the closing table. Sure. Man, that is a good fit for what you do now. Wow. Yes, it is. Yeah, it was definitely the stepping stone to where we are now. Yes. Yeah. So a bunch of questions with that. So for, for everybody listening, what is an A-class property or what does that mean? Yeah, good question. So A-class is typically an area that uh, economically uh, is uh, you know, does well. So it's a, it's, it's a neighborhood or an area that uh, you're going to have your upscale eating, you're going to have your upscale shopping, um, restaurants. Uh, it's, it's more of your upscale communities. Uh, and that's an A area. Your A um, property is going to be a property that it's a little bit higher rent to live there. It's a little bit higher class. It's going to have all the amenities that you want or could want or need. Uh, so it's, it's going to have everything from, you know, the pool to sometimes more than one pool to, uh, mail services. Some of them had concierge services. Um, so they're the the creme de la creme, if you will, of apartment complexes. Okay, sure. And, you know, I personally, I'm curious in that role, you know, how much flexibility did you have or what criteria did they give you? Um, you know, you're negotiating the deal but for you to know whether it was a good deal or not, what all did, did they provide you or what criteria? Yeah. So the company itself had a very strict criteria on what they wanted to look for. Um, and, you know, without getting too involved, I'm no longer with the company, so I can't divulge, you know, anything that they have proprietary. Uh, but what I can say is there was a very select criteria of what kind of property the company wanted. And it's very similar. I mean, I can speak to, you know, what, what we look for too. It's a very similar process, but uh, so it had to meet a certain kind of criteria. It had to meet. It had to be an A asset. It had to be in an A location. It had to be between about 200 and 400 units. Um, 
it could be garden style. It could be a wrap. It could be a high rise. It could be any of those three uh, different property variations. Uh, and what the real focus was is, you know, operationally, is it efficient? Uh, can the operations be improved? Uh, is there value add opportunity? Can we increase rates and rents? Um, and can we basically go in, uh, create a value add situation with this property and then turn around and sell it in four to five years uh, for a profit? Uh, and my flexibility in it was, I, I was not the ultimate decision maker and that was done by committee. Um, so uh, my job was to evaluate the deal, put it on paper and then take it to that committee that would eventually make an ultimate decision. Okay. So it was more the assessing what value adds yep. you have or what opportunity there was there. What opportunity. Yeah. So we looked at everything from, like I said, the operations to the location to, mm -hmm. you know, we would get into the numbers, we would underwrite the deal. So we'd evaluate, evaluate it financially um, and really put together a picture of, okay, here's what it, where it's at. So we can derive a value. Uh, where do we know we can take it based off of, you know, our economies of scale, our efficiencies and how we operate properties uh, and where, how fast can we do that? That was basically what, how we looked at each deal. Sure. So when you were, when you were working with them, were you <laughs> investing on the side as well or? Uh, no, unfortunately I was not allowed to do that um, as, as a part of the, the agreement, the employment agreement, but uh, yeah. So no, I unfortunately was not allowed to go out and buy properties. Okay. Interesting. The plot yeah. thickens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So I, I, you guys have great stories, but how long ago did you meet? I know your partnership now, I mean, is just exploding and what you've been able to do together. So how long do you, how long ago did you meet? What was that like? Yeah. Cassidy, you want to take that one? Yeah, I mean, uh, we've known each other for uh, at least a few years now. Uh, we actually started the business just over a year ago um, because I, you know, I was talking to Justin, you know, what he was doing with the, uh, the multifamily space. And uh, my wife and I, we, we switched from, you know, flipping houses to basically holding the houses and putting them on the short-term rental market. So Airbnb. So we fixed them up really nice. We staged them. Um, and then we're getting, you know, a lot more um, income coming as opposed to uh, traditional rental. So and I was talking to Justin, you know, it kind of was interesting to see where he was going because I was starting to get into, you know, a little bit larger apartment complexes, you know, for my business model, what I wanted to see. And he was already in that space doing that with those larger scale apartments. And I'm just, you know, the light bulb went off, you know, when I was talking to him, like, let's, let's do this together. You know, you're already doing exactly what I want to do. You know, I can have value add to what his knowledge was. And it was kind of like this thing that's like, this is going to be great. You know, if we put these two ideas together, it's, we really got something here. So that's kind of where we went with it and, um, you know, have been really growing, you know, ever since. So it's just, it's really exciting. So that's sharp. So it's been a little over a year since um, you started the partnership or started Everstar Investments, correct? Yep. Yeah. August 19th uh, was our anniversary. It was our birthday, I guess. I don't know if we call it an anniversary or birthday, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> August 19th, we're a year old officially, Everstar. All right. So what was the first deal that you did together? Yeah. So we, uh, so backing up just a little bit, part of that light bulb moment was, you know, we thought, it, okay, you guys have built this short-term rental portfolio and I had dabbled in short-term rental. Uh, 
and we got this multi and we both love the multifamily space. And we said, well, what happens if we put those two things together? And that was that light bulb moment where we created this hybrid model. So our first target property, we knew it had to be a multifamily and we wanted to kind of test our, our theory, our thesis, if you will, on whether or not this would work combining multifamily and short-term rentals, which we knew it was happening at lot on large scale and some big metropolitan areas like, um, uh, like New York or uh, not New York. Uh, I think it was down in Dallas or Atlanta. So it was Sonder is the company's name and they had been doing it on a large scale. And, but the middle market in the multifamily world is the most ignored market in the world. So we knew it had to be a middle market mm-hmm. property. Uh, it had to be at least 10 units or more. Uh, and we were going to try to convert at least 40% of all the units in that building. So, uh, so we identified uh, different target markets locally because we wanted to start close to home. Uh, that we thought would be really good. And we knew what the property would look like. And I think within, we so we formed up in August, we spent three or four months just planning and making sure our model was right and that we had the tools in place and we had people on the right seats on the bus. Uh, and then we went into full acquisition mode. And that first property we found locally in Dayton, uh, it was a 14 unit uh, building. Uh, it literally met every criteria where almost all the units were under one roof. Um, it was a great area for work uh, because part of our Airbnb strategy or short-term rental strategy is not doing um, uh, travel, people who are traveling for leisure. Okay. We want like vacation travel. We want people who are traveling for work. So this, the market and the area, the location was perfect. The, the, the property was perfect. Um, and then I think we made an offer on that deal and sometime in November, December after we started. And I think we closed that or we made the offer in November and I think we closed it in January. Yeah. Yeah. Right at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So, so yeah. So, uh, do you want us to get into a little bit of the details of the deal or? Well, even before we get into that, we'll get into the details and the nitty gritty of the deal, (laughs) but I think we need to. Um, or you guys should explain a little bit because I think it is like a big light bulb. Why mm-hmm. does the short-term rental concept match up with the multifamily concept so well? Why, I mean, why do those complement each other? Yeah. So going back to the middle market comment that I made, middle market is uh, secondary and tertiary markets in the multifamily space. And what that means is uh, areas that are not major metropolitan areas. Like Columbus would be a primary market in the multifamily space. Whereas Dayton, you could make an argument it's primary, but it's really a secondary market to like Cincinnati and Columbus. Um, The suburbs of uh, Dayton, for example, would be tertiary markets, right? So they're they're not primary. They're not a secondary market. They're really outside of a secondary market. They're kind of out on their own. So um, that corner of the industry is really... Uh, not paid much attention to. It's almost forgotten because most of the investors in multifamily are institutional money or large firms, and they want large properties in primary markets. So they want class A, class B in primary markets. So we knew that there was a lot of property out there that was available at a good price point that we could get into uh, at, a, at a very good price point and increase the valuation to a point where we could cash out in a very short amount of time and and uh, not only make our investors happy, but make, you know, a substantial amount of money doing so. Um, so that's why we picked that area, um, the secondary market. Uh, so uh, we, 
Yeah, I don't know if I, how deep you want me to go in the weeds. I keep going. Well, more so, but you know, um, before we get into the numbers for the deals, I think those numbers will make more sense um, if we talk about you know how you value a multifamily property, um, how you know by doing the short term model and getting. I remember from discussions in the past, Cassidy, you're talking about three <laughs> right. times the normal rent, which, you know, right. makes me just drool over what, what that could do and how that affects the value of a multifamily. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Good question. Um, so Cassie, I don't know if you want to talk about this a little bit on, you know, what we're seeing. And so part of the secondary market, tertiary market is those rents are usually plateaued. Right. So keep yeah. that in mind for everybody who's listening. Uh, your secondary yep. tertiary markets, the rents are. Maybe, maybe we should start out with, you know, people are familiar a lot with, you know, single family houses and how those are valued. You know, if you have a uh, rental house or you have a house that you live in, the value is based on what the market is doing. So what other comparable houses have sold for in that market, as opposed to multifamily, you know, you, the value of multifamily is based on a couple different things. One is the cap rate in the area. So if you bought it for all cash, what's your rate of return on that asset? Um, as, as well as how much money does the property produce? You know, what is the net operating income of the property? So those things are going to determine, you know, the purchase price or the value of the property. So that's kind of how it's different from single family houses. You know, if somebody runs an apartment complex better, you know, it's going to be valued better as opposed to, Hey, if you just have regular rental and the, the, the rental rates are capped out at this, it's not going to, those rental rates are not going to increase or decrease the value of that you know, single family house at all. So that's, I think that's important to see, okay, here's the baseline of where our value is, you know, compared to single family houses is most people would uh, be familiar with. Yeah, I think that's huge. So for me, it's having mainly single families and small multifamilies, less than mm-hmm. five units, yep. then I could raise rents from 800 to 1600 a month but it's not going to change the pro- the actual value of those properties if the other houses in the area didn't change in value. Right. So right. whereas you know buying a multifamily when if you can get double or triple the rents with that short term uh, rental model as long as your expenses don't double or triple then the value of that property is going to go up um, as your income goes up. So, right. Yeah. And that's, that's important to point out, um, you know, so the, to back up our hybrid model is combining traditional rents, right? Traditional multifamily units with short-term rental units, meaning we're going to go in to some of these units in the property. We are going to fix them up, give them a facelift. We're going to fully furnish them and then we're going to put them out on the short-term rental market. And that's where we get that rent increase. Mm -hmm. Uh, And since, as Cassidy was saying, commercial properties are valued based off of NOI or a net operating income, uh, we haven't actually increased the operating costs of that property, um, but we've increased the gross rent. So almost every bit of that gross rent increase falls to the bottom line, otherwise known as NOI, which immediately increases the value of the property. Mm -hmm. Sure. So, okay, so take us through the numbers for that first deal. Um, you know, ballpark purchase price, okay. average rents, 
Yeah, so it's funny because we the, the, we found the deal, and uh, as almost as soon as we found it, we lost it. Uh, and <laughs> kind of like for our first deal, it was so interesting because we found the deal, and we we're like, oh, and we called on it, and it was under contract, so we were out. Uh, so then we started looking for the next one, and it was perfect for our first deal. Uh, about a month later, I think uh, Michelle Cassidy's wife had called. Now the broker just on a whim to follow up, which key guys always follow up on deals because yep. they fall apart <laughs> at the finish line. Um, and it had fallen out of contract. They couldn't perform and get to the closing table. So uh, we immediately put a counter offer in. Um, we offered uh, $500,000 for the deal. Uh, again, 14 units. Uh, uh, 12 of those were under the same roof and they had two end units uh, that you access from the outside. Um, we offered 500, uh, based off of our underwriting, we knew, we knew we were going to go in and improve the property make upgrades and furnish, you know, some of these units for Airbnb. So we had factored spending about, uh, $270,000 roughly. There were some capital expenditures that we wanted to do some CapEx stuff. Um, so we got a loan for 400,000 on, on the, the 80%, uh, debt. Uh, we needed a hundred K down for the, the equity piece and then an additional 170 for, uh, the improvements. Okay. And what were the average rents, um, when you purchased it? They were hovering about 435 when we bought it. Okay. And so once you, you know, I don't know, I'm imagining it takes a, a good amount of, um, input to put the units at a high level for the short-term short-term rental to furnish them um, do things that you wouldn't do for a normal rental so once you did that what were the average rents or what do they average out to now so usually when we tell people about this we you know it's, it's never okay to lie in business right but normally we tell people lower than what we're actually getting because when we tell people what we're actually getting they, they tend to not believe us so um, but so on average I'll give you one example and these were all one bed one bath apartments too by the way which was huge that's that's right down our lane for a short-term rental uh, I'll give you one example the smallest unit in the entire building, um, the one bed, one bath, it, it, it's almost close to an efficiency, really. Um, we were getting 415 a month rent. Since we've converted it to short-term rentals, we've been getting on average 1650 so $1,650 a month on that one unit. Man, so, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, and again, we don't increase the operating costs yet. There, there are the upfront costs of upgrading and furnishing, but we've got that pretty much down to a science now. Um, and we have a template that we use on every single one of them. It's the, it's the same flooring, same paint, same colors, same lighting fixtures, same everything. Um, so it's easy to get in and get out and convert them. Um, so we, we have a, it's, it's a fixed cost for us on what our upgrades and furnishings. And we put in the same couches, same end table, same, same coffee table, same bed, same mattresses, pillows, sheets. You know, it's, it's all uh, a template. And so we know what those costs are going to be to upgrade, which we've been averaging about 5,000 on upgrading the unit itself and about another five to 7,000 on furnishings. So we're about ten to twelve thousand dollars per unit mm -hmm. upgrade and get them on the short-term rental market. Okay, sure. 
And I know you had said you don't want to deal or you're not targeting vacation rentals, vacation short-term rentals. You're targeting business uh, short-term rentals. So what is that like for people, you know, who worry about the management and, and how to deal with short-term rentals? What is it like in a business context? How often are they coming in and out? What's your normal stay? Things like that. <clears throat> Yeah. So, I mean, we're averaging, you know, like a, you know, probably a three night stay right now, but you know, 2020 this year has been, you know, so different than, you know, the, the history of the short-term rental market. Yeah. It's been you know, crazy. With the, the COVID coming in here, there was one day where the calendar for all of our rentals got wiped out the entire thing. Like, okay, now we got a blank slate. And then the two days after that, people started booking them for the long-term. So one month plus days, you know, for you know, almost the same amount that we had for a nightly rental. So we're seeing, you know, that is the trend right now as opposed to, you know, just the, uh, the short-term rental, you know, day long stay, which we're still doing that. And we're still, you know, you know, I think we're hovering still about 95 occupancy during the summertime, which is, which is typical, but we have a lot more of that kind of the, the midterm, uh, hybrid model as well. And I think that's really the sweet spot because, you know, if, you, if you're talking, you know, a long-term tenant, there's not a lot that you have to do with them. You know, they take care of their place themselves. You know, they put in their maintenance ticket once in a while. And that's kind of the same thing for, you know, a furnished rental that's long-term, you know, you might, you know, you know, go in there and clean once in a while, check on the property, do some minor maintenance tasks. So it's kind of the same thing as, you know, what people are used to, but the rates, you know, are three or four times the, uh, the, the monthly rental because it's furnished. So that furnished space, you know, it, it's huge because, you know, somebody's going to come in here, they're not going to stay for a long time, you know, but maybe they're coming from work. We get a lot of people right now that are, you know, having contract jobs, you know, for different companies because, you know, in Dayton, there's a lot of, you know, with the Air Force Research Lab, a lot of contracts coming on for that, you know, they're redoing the runway right now. So we have contractors on for that. Um, so a lot of those different things that, you know, people are coming in for work, they, they want something that's, you know, nicer than a hotel that has a kitchen there. It's a long-term stay, you know, it's furnished. It's really nice. Uh, it's just exactly what they need. It's that niche that we're going for right now. That's you know, so successful for us. That's what we're looking for. Yeah, it sounds ideal. So how do you, how do you target that niche or how do you market towards that type of traveler, I guess? Yeah, it's yeah, fun. So right. Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, go ahead, Justin. <laughs> So a lot of ours are on Airbnb right now, um, but you know we do a little word of mouth, um, especially throughout the base and through other um, businesses and agencies um, in the community here. You know, doing a lot of that networking and uh, figuring out like, hey, who has contracts that are coming in? You know, um, and then once we have one, then they you know switch that to the next person that's coming in if somebody's you know switching out and taking their job if they have to switch out. So, you know, a lot of that networking and marketing, you know plays a big role in this. Okay. Right. On Airbnb, can you say minimum 14 nights stay or something like yep, that? Absolutely. Okay. Yep. Do you do that or do you just welcome whoever wants to pay and <clears throat> take whatever? You no, know, we, we, we don't have um, a long-term minimum stay on a lot of our places. Some, some we have, you know, two to three night minimum. We're actually thinking about for some of our places, trying that out to see, Hey, is this going to work? Because we have to be able to test that market there, you know, because that is a sweet spot of, you know, what we've liked, um, you know, 
for people coming in our properties. You know, it works well for the management. Um, so, you know, it's something that we might try in the future. We're not doing it now, but you know, it's, it's available. Yeah. And, and Chad, to go back to your question about operations, um, you know, if, if people are thinking about doing this model, the one thing I would say is, you know, Cassidy and Michelle spent time developing mm -hmm. some of these operations, like the communication part of Airbnb. It's, it's a lot different and it can be a beast if you don't have a system in place to manage that. <clears throat> so we were fortunate in the beginning to already have some of that in place. We already had cleaning teams established. Uh, that could go in and turn these units and et cetera. But if you're going to start this out on your own, I would highly recommend getting with somebody like us or somebody that you know that has done Airbnb uh, that understands those systems mm -hmm. and the communication that needs to happen. Um, otherwise, it will feel extremely overwhelming um, and you won't be able to do it at scale. So that's important yeah. to know and understand. I felt like it was important to bring up. You know, Justin, that's a great point because when, you know, Michelle does all the communication with all the guests because she's such a sweetheart, you know, she understands people's problems, those sort of things. You know, once we had about three on our own, when she's dealing with the constant check-in, check-out, all the questions, you know, where's the Wi-Fi password? How do I get in? You know, what are the directions of the property? Is it around, you know, this certain event that I want to be on? All those questions, you know, it, is, it was a full-time job at three properties, full-time job. So you got to have, you know, assistance. You got to have a process in place to deal with those things. You know, something that, you know, a little bit of automation in there to answer those, you know, frequently asked questions if they get brought up. So that's, that's imperative to do at scale. You know, it's, it, it's a must because anything over three, it's, it's not possible. So you have to have another process in place. You have to have a good system in order to make it work successful. Yeah, that's sharp. There's, there's a lot of moving pieces in that are, really, yeah. you know, to, to scale any business, you have to have yep. good systems in place. But I think especially short-term rental business, um, yep. just because there's so much going on. <clears throat> so, yeah, that's yep. sharp. So with that first deal that you did, if you were to put a valuation on it now, you know, you said you paid 500, you had another 170, I believe it was, that you put into it with the increase in rents. What do you think the, the valuation would be near now? Yeah, so uh, we haven't put in, so we had an equity partner with us on the deal too, um, who brought the equity piece and we have not actually used the the full 170 that, that we were gonna use on this deal. Uh, we, we just over budgeted to make sure we had enough capital to do all the improvements that we wanted to do. That being said, the units that we've converted so far, we've increased the value of this property just based on the new uh, gross rents that'll create the new NOI to about $775,000. So, you know, we bought it at five back in January, we closed and already this is August mm -hmm. and we've increased that value to about $775,000. Yeah, that's amazing. 50% yep. increase in, in less than a year. Right. Yeah. And so we're not even done yet with this one. No. And that's the amazing part. You know, we, we we're shooting for a million dollar valuation by, by next year. Yeah. Okay. We're, you know, well on the way there, we convert, you know, a few more units and it's, it's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be right on where we want it to be. So right on right. track. Yep. Okay. So you're saying you've converted some of the units kind of like as people right. move out or yep. as there's a turnover naturally. And so your target is 40% of the units short term eventually. Yes. And, and that 40% is uh, very uh, specific. There, there's a reason why it's 40%. It's not because we ran a model and said, 
oh, this is the right, you know, this is the right sweet spot. It's because insurance wise, uh, you know, your coverages, if you convert more than 40% of your units, you actually have to have a different insurance policy on the property to cover the short-term rentals. So to keep our insurance costs down, which again, the more costs go up, the more your NOI is affected, we only convert 40% at any given property. Awesome. Yeah. A little nugget to know. That's great to know. Good. So, all right. So we're, well, okay. I was about to jump ahead, man. And we missed a key component that you brought up because I'm sure a lot of people thought, well, yeah, that's great to just go buy a $500,000 property and have an extra 170 from somebody, you know, you know, but in my world, people aren't running around with 170,000. And how did you put that deal together? Or, you know, how was it structured? To purchase it yeah it's a good question uh jesse you want me to take it or yeah you can take this one yeah so um the way we cast it in when we set out uh we just a lot of people when they structure multifamily deals it's almost like the casinos the house is always going to get paid right and cassie and i were not a fan of that from the beginning because without your investors you cannot scale you cannot grow you cannot take on more properties etc uh, so we decided early on that we were going to structure ideal our deals with the investor in mind. We wanted them to get paid first. So uh, the way we structure it is for any equity piece that they bring, they get a certain percentage of the deal. In this particular deal, because this was the first time doing a deal with this investor at, at a large scale, he had done some other deals, uh, but a large deal. So what we did with him on this specific deal is we gave him uh, 50% equity, which is a lot. Uh, for the hundred and uh, technically 270,000 is what he brought total uh, or what he committed total to the project. Uh, so for that 270,000, he got 50% equity. He got a 7% preferred return on his money. Uh, and he gets a hundred percent of his capital out before Cassie and I take a dime on our 50%. So the, the reason, the other reason that we set it up this way, not only do we want the investor to benefit first, um, but we know with the hybrid model, we can drive that valuation really quick um, and cash out our investor with a refi or a supplemental loan, or, or we can just take it to disposition. Probably won't do that. We'll probably just refinance it. Um, but until he's paid back 100%, we don't get a dime um, out of the deal. Now, we do take a management fee for managing the property, um, but 100% goes back to the investor first. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think that that would provide them with a lot of security. Um, they should feel more more confident going into the deal with that. And who, if the equity partner was bringing the money, who was getting the loan or how was the loan structured? Yeah, so that's just, uh, we, we have a great relationship with the local bank here. Um, they, they work with us, they do portfolio loans, so they keep everything in house. So, you know, I've been working with them for, you know, the last five years. So they have all my financials on record. So every year I just update them with, hey, here's our profit and loss, you know, for the year. Here's, you know, my bank statements and things like that. And then when I we need to go to them for a loan, I just call them up. They're like, hey, you know, we have this contract on this, uh, you know, apartment complex. You know, what else do you need for me to uh, make it happen? And it's, it's just so smooth. You know, that, that's one piece of advice I'd really recommend, you know, talk to your local bankers, the small banks, you know, that can help you out on some of these deals, you know, especially if they're doing, you know, maybe a little bit larger commercial um, type loans too. 
and they, they can really, you know, help a deal go through. Um, so that way, you know, I've, I know I've talked to people that have done single family houses, you know, you go through some of these big uh, agencies and they're just keep asking you for more information, more paperwork, you know, you have to validate, you know, this bank transaction, it doesn't look right. And I, we don't have to do any of that, you know, I just call them up, hey, it's, it's on record, it's ready to go, and it just goes through. So, you know, just developing that relationship has been so beneficial, you know, making these deals happen that we need to, and, and expansion, you know, we've talked to them and we're ready to go for many more deals in the future. Yeah. Definitely make a relationship with your local banks and credit unions and who you have in the local area. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, yeah, where, so where'd you go from there? When you, I guess another question with structure, when you refinance and pay the investor back, then there's still 50% equity owner. Um, there's an operating agreement that says how you'll decide whether to sell it or refinance it or how you'll keep it, things like that. All that's yeah. laid out, I'm sure. Yeah, it's all laid out in an operating agreement that we do on the front end. Um, and again, back to the way we structure, that's the beautiful thing about this model is uh, for the investor specifically is even when their capital is cashed out, they still get to stay in the deal. And a lot of multifamily uh, firms do not structure deals that way. Uh, and if they do stay in, they're usually their percentage of ownership is severely reduced, um, you know, sometimes 10% or less. Uh, we don't want to do that. And, and there's a key reason why. And I, I think it's important for people to understand if you treat your investors right and you make sure they make money first, there will come a time in your career in your mm -hmm. investing business that you will never have to look for money again. Because every time you have a deal, that investor who you treated right and made sure they got paid um, and paid first will be standing there ready to support you and, and do your deal. Uh, and that's, you know, when we started out, that's one thing we wanted to make sure is there's going to come a point. We don't want to have to look for money anymore. We just want to focus on doing deals <clears throat> because that's how you scale and grow. So, so yeah, once we get to that point and, and the beautiful part about this, this is the part that I love the most. And a lot of people don't understand this is uh, we will more than likely the capital transaction we'll deploy will be a refi. And the reason that is, is because we'll increase the valuation to a million dollars. We'll get 80% refi on that, maybe 75. Uh, but in this specific deal, uh, that'll mean we can pull out $800,000. Okay. We owe the bank 400. We owe the investor another 170. Uh, we split the rest 50, 50. So that's a big paycheck for a short amount of time. But the best part about it is because it's refi proceeds, it's 100% tax-free. There so we go. You don't pay yeah. tax on it. The investor doesn't pay tax on it. Uh, and then because we've increased the gross, and a lot of people are like, well, isn't that over leveraging your property? If you got a million dollar valuation and you took out 800,000? No, because we increased those rents through the short term. And the way we underwrite this is even worst case scenario, if the short-term rental market implodes tomorrow, what can we rent these apartments at furnished apartment rates? Yeah. And even those numbers will cash flow positive at the new debt service that we'll take on when we refi. So we underwrite that on the front end so that we know how much can we take out on a refi uh, and still be cash flow positive on the deal. And then we just hold the deal for another seven to 10 years and cash flow it. Yep. It's awesome. That's sharp. I love I love the model, and I love the concept. So, um, so what was your second deal? Where'd you go? <laughs> I didn't mean, I've known you guys a while. I knew you were smart, but now getting into the numbers, I'm like, man, these guys really are smart. <laughs> 
So what was the second deal after the 14 unit? Where'd you go from there? Yeah, we got a little clever and I'll let Cassidy go into the details on this one because it's a bit of a, we stretched a little bit on this one, given the area, the type of property and what decisions led us to do it. So, okay. So um, my wife, Michelle, she's from up uh, north, you know, Maslin, Canton area. And she's been bugging me probably for the last three years about, you know, the football hall of fame. It's a great location. They're doing, you know, half billion dollar expansion you know they're doing a football themed hotel up there we got to get properties in Canada. you know so i've mm-hmm. tried to put her off as much as i could but she finally found um you know how did, justin how did we uh find this deal it's through it's through, yeah through one of our uh, acquisition partners here you know he brought the deal to us and you know with Canton, they have a few different regulations with um you know the short-term rental market that it's it's outlawed in single family homes. You can't do it. If you're going to do a short-term rental, it has to be in a commercial multifamily space. So we, we, you know, the acquisitions manager brought us this deal. We're looking at it, you know, it's, uh, it's in Canton, you know, five minutes from the football pro football hall of fame, you know, so it was kind of, it was really neat. And we, we started uh, moving on it. You know, there's significant uh, upside, the rates, rental rates are under market value. So, we can do a couple different things. You know, when we underwrite, you know, these uh, uh, commercial multifamily deals, we're looking at what is, what are the uh, rental rates at right now for the rest of the area. You know, so you still do comparables. You do a uh, you know rental analysis of the area, and they're still about a hundred you know dollars below at least, maybe even two hundred, right, Justin? Yeah, they're closer, about one hundred and fifty ish. Yeah, one hundred and fifty under the uh, the rental market. So there's room to grow. You know. We don't, we don't underwrite them at the uh, short-term rental markets. You know, some people get in a lot of trouble yeah. because they find these deals that they look great. You know, they're going to be performing really well at short-term rental rates. Then they do their offer based on those numbers. Mm. And then all of a sudden, hey, 2020 happens, and then the bottom falls out, and how are you going to pay for that, you know, if you don't have any uh, tenants or uh, guests coming in? So we have to do it, you know, on a two-fold approach. So there has to be value-add on the traditional uh, rental market. To, um, to increase the valuation of the property by improving it, you know, increasing those rents up a little bit. And then, you know, on that, we're going to further increase it by, you know, staging it and furnishing it and bringing in short-term guests, you know, to uh, triple or even quadruple what the uh, rental market can handle. So that's kind of where we are on uh, that property right now. We are in the process of uh, improving it. We kind of slowed down a little bit, you know, during uh, you know the COVID that's happening right here, but you know, we're ready to go on it and we're ready to, uh, to expand. And we try to do, you know, actually we're doing, we did close two deals at the same time on that. Yeah. Got another one um, in Dayton here that another investor uh, really liked. So you know, I talked to the bank, I'm like, Hey, what can we do with this? They're like, Oh yeah, no problem. We'll just bundle them together. You know, you'll have your separate payments and it'll work out great. So I'm like, okay, you know, I mean, if we got the, uh, the bank support, they're willing to loan the money on it. So let's go ahead and do it. So that was another, um, um, Know, another few units in Dayton here, we're going to do the same thing. You know, we didn't buy it, you know, at a deep discount like we did the other one, but the rental rates are still under market value and we're going to be able to drive those up, you know, and then still the same thing. You know, we we're uh, pretty much triple, you know, the short-term rental on what we could do get traditionally. So that's doing really well. We just need to be able to convert more units, you know, which is our plan throughout the, the year here on expansion. And then and we're off to the races. It's, it's very exciting, you know, to be able to, you know, 
come together with a banker, you know, have an acquisitions guy, um, be able to show us deals and close on those things and, uh, and keep them happening. So we're really excited on where these are going to go. That's sharp. You know, <clears throat> a couple of things that stand out to me just in, in you talking about why that looked or why that was an appealing deal. Um, especially because so many people are talking about this market right now and how everything's very high priced and it's hard to find a good deal or an undervalued <laughs> property. Um, but with it being multifamily, the fact that maybe you're buying it at cost now, but knowing that the rents are low and you can raise rents traditionally mm-hmm. that, that you can raise the value of that property. And then knowing with your hybrid model with, 40% short-term rental rates being much higher. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there. I think that's sharp. Yeah. And that was, it's a deal that a lot of people would overlook probably because it, it doesn't look great, Yeah, but <clears throat> with your model, it really does. Yeah. And just to clarify too, you know, our, my background in the traditional multifamily allow, wouldn't allow us to underwrite deals on a short-term rental basis. So we underwrite every deal. Like it's, it's a traditional multifamily asset. Yep. And we want to know, can we uh, make this work and be profitable, even if it's just a traditional asset and a bad economy and, you know, awful economic occupancy rates, uh, will it survive? Um, so every deal that we bought, you know, COVID was a little scary for everybody. Uh, but I can tell you, we were pretty confident moving through COVID. Um, yeah. Just because we knew we were buying them right. We haven't bought a deal yet that we didn't buy with equity in it. So, you know, we've been strong negotiators. Our underwriting is on point. Uh, we know we share those numbers with the sellers and the brokers, um, and uh, th- they see that we put the time and effort into really underwriting these uh, very, very well. So, you know, we make a strong argument for buying well. So, to your point, yeah, we we won't. The the short term rental is the icing on the cake. You know, we do look mm-hmm. at those numbers and we run them and we say, you know, if we you know, put it at this rate per day and we get X amount of occupancy, what's that look like? And that's literally just the icing on the cake. Um, so, but we definitely underwrite conservatively because the whole idea in investing is don't lose money, right? If you want to succeed in investing, yep. just don't lose money, uh, and you'll get there. So, so yeah, to your point, we, we make sure we underwrite them all traditionally. Good. Sure. And how many of those two deals that you did together, how many units, uh, were, were there? Yeah. So we took down, well, so we, we closed in our first year that, that first property and then two more, we closed 50 units in about four months, roughly. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we've got on target right now, we've got about another, (laughs) well, and here's the crazy part. We had another 200 units uh, that we were working on and because of COVID that deal fell apart, not on our end, uh, yep. but, but on the seller's end, uh, because of the whole uh, pandemic. So, uh, so had that deal not fallen apart, we would have taken down about uh, 260 units in four months. Um, but COVID kind of slowed the market down a little bit. We have about 328 in the pipeline right now that we're looking at that we'll be offering mm-hmm. here in the next 30 days. Um, so we're definitely still in acquisition mode. It's awesome. Yeah. So looking forward, I mean, your, the, your partnership is fairly short term. Um, and I think you're showing great numbers and amazing growth already. What do you plan moving forward the next one year, five years, 20 years? What are we talking here? 
Yeah. Well, we've had a couple conversations about that and yeah, uh, we, uh, it, it's, uh, for the end of this year, we're, we want to get at least another hundred units in the portfolio before we get out of December. Um, and then, uh, our long-term, the, the thing that we talk about the most, and this has just been kind of a slogan internally between us is, you know, we're going to be a hundred million dollar company. And that's been kind of our push. I know we have a short-term goal of getting to a million in net revenue by the end of 2021, which we're well on our way to doing. Um, and, and then just building those relationships so that we can get to a hundred million dollars in net revenue. And, and that's a 10 year goal. We want to be to a hundred million in 10 years. Sure. And do you currently have enough investors? Are you looking for new investors as well as deals? Where are you there? Yeah, so I mean, we always have to be looking for uh, more people, you know, um, to to look at our deals because I mean, what we've done so far, it's amazing, right? But it's not anything close to what we're going to do. We always have to um, talk to people, show them what we're doing, you know, find other investors to you know, because if, hey, if you, if you saw some of our properties, it's, it's just phenomenal, you know, before and after what we've done, you know, what our guests say, you know, I think we just, uh, we passed uh, 2000, you know, five-star reviews on Airbnb, you know, because it's that customer service, you know, we are in the customer service industry and we do this to take care of people, right? So we want them to have a great place when they come. We want our traditional residents to, to feel like, hey, we're taking care of them. You know, better than anywhere else. They, they have the best value that they can find. So if we can do that and we can make other people money, you know, and we can expand our business, you know, it's, it's a win-win-win, right? Everybody is going to be able to win. Everybody's going to be able to make money. Um, and then we can expand it going forward. So that's really our goal, you know, to take care of everybody that does business with us is that they want to do business with us. That's, I think that's so important. It's awesome. I know I was looking at your website earlier, everstarinvestments.com and yep. all the pictures of your units. And I mean, it's really, I mean, it's high quality units. They're really nice. Yeah, it really so, is. And the reviews yeah. definitely speak to how you treat the customers. So yeah. And another big milestone this week. Uh, I think it was Tuesday. I want to say Michelle would have to confirm this, but, uh, hit 2,500 reservations. Uh, so it was a, a huge, that's a huge Airbnb milestone, but uh, yep. a huge milestone, 2,500 reservations. Booked. Sure. Yeah. So for somebody who's listening and you know, they're hearing you guys buying, it, I mean, we're, you're talking hundreds of units and your valuations are 500 over a million and you're looking at a hundred million dollar business as the target, you know, what recommendations would you give for somebody else just getting started? Um, yeah, I, I would say you have to start, you know, if anybody's ever done anything real estate, you know, bought a single family house or have a rental, you know, it's just more on a bigger scale. You know, it's the same thing. It's, you, and when you get to a larger scale, say at least, you know, a 60 to hundred units where the property can afford a full-time property manager, you're basically like buying a business, you know, all the numbers are the same, you know, does it produce income? What are the expenses, you know, and then you can get on how it's valued, you know, what, what's the net operating income, the NOI, you know, how many expenses you have, what's the cap rate for the area. That way you can determine the value of that property and what's, what's it worth, you know, what's somebody willing to, uh, to pay for it. So it's, it's just like, you know, any other real estate, it's just you know, doing more units at a time, you know, more rentals in the same area. And actually it's easier, you know, managing a hundred unit housing or 
apartment complex can be easier than managing, you know, three single family uh, houses if you're doing it yourself, because you already have somebody that's, that's their job is to help you manage and grow and make this property perform. And then you can probably even afford a maintenance guy that's on staff full time to take care of all the other problems. So in a way it's easier, you know, it's just, it's a little bit bigger scale. Yeah. I would argue that buying commercial, knowing both worlds now, I would argue that oh, yeah. buying commercial multifamily is actually an easier process. It's just, it scares people because of the scale, yeah. uh, but it's an easier process than buying a single family residential. Um, and, and my advice to anybody that's looking to get started uh, is simply just get started. Uh, there yeah. are three things that you can bring to any real estate deal, right? And, and, Every single person listening, every single person out there that wants to do more, get into investing, get into real estate has one of these three things. Okay. So the three things is you can either have money in a deal, right? You can bring money to a deal. You can bring knowledge to a deal, or you can bring time. Okay. And every single person out there has one of those three things. So if you're interested in getting started, I don't care how big your goals are or how big you want to change your life. You have one of those three things. Um, you know, and we're always looking for people that have any one of those three things um, that, oh, yeah. that we can do deals with and work with. Uh, so if you've got time, if you've got knowledge or you got money uh, and you can work on the knowledge while you got the time, right? Both of those things are free. They don't cost you a dime. So uh, and if you get enough time, give enough time and gain enough knowledge, you'll eventually end up with the money uh, and then you'll have all three things. But uh, if you're looking to start, just start. I mean, that's literally what Cassie and I did. We we had an idea. Our eyes lit up. I remember the day we looked each other in the face and we're like, oh my God, this actually could be really big. <laughs> it was literally a handshake and let's do this. We scheduled a meeting for the very next day and we were off to the races. So we just did. Um, and at times it's scary. I know we've had some some scary moments, but we just we just went for it. And that's what I would recommend people do. Sure. I think that's great advice. Whatever, whatever you have, time, knowledge, or money, leverage it and just get started. Take that first step um, and, and surround yourself with people who have the others. Exactly. You know? Absolutely. So, Take the team, you know? Yeah, I think that's great advice. And uh, so for, for people on the outside, I know some people would say, you know, you've got all these units you know, what's the motivation to get to a hundred million? You know, I'd be, I'd be kicking my feet up on the beach or something. <laughs> but what's your why? What really motivates you? What gets you up in the morning? What provides that drive to get to the next level? Yeah. So, I mean, with me, it's, it's being able to take care of people, you know, it's a service industry. And, and not only that, I mean, there, there's so many people that, um, you know, don't quite manage properties you know, as well as they could, you know, and, and tenants know that, you know, they, they know that, Hey, you know, I can go to a better place or I can have something else. So if we can provide that service that they can actually, you know, have something and stay here and want to stay here because, you know, it's, it's us, it's our company managing it. You know, that, that says a lot, you know, my wife, she loves service too. She loves to help people, um, especially the short-term guests take care of their problems, you know, so that way they always want to come back for us. But, you know, on top of that, even more, it's, it's the business, you know, I, I love, you know, helping people in business, you know, being part of a, um, of a company that's growing, it's exciting. Um, it's 
doing the deals, you know, it's the art of the deal. It's, it's just phenomenal. So all those things, you know, really build up to, is this enjoyable, right? You know, to us, it is. It's very exciting on where this is going, making these deals happen and doing the negotiations. You know, it's, it's fun, you know, so do something that you like and you enjoy and you're going to be happy. Yeah. And, and uh, so part of doing this, like, I hope I, you guys didn't hear my dog barking because he was just, <laughs> that's what happens when you work from home, guys. That's one of the things I enjoy about doing this. That's one of my whys. Um, you know, I have two big whys. The first is my kids. Um, you know, I, I want to be able to have time freedom with them. You know, I want to be able to uh, do all the things that they want to do in life and all the things I would like to do for them in life. I'd like to leave them a legacy. I think that's a, a huge responsibility of when you become a parent is, uh, you know, you don't want to spoil your kids, but you, you want to leave the world for them a better place than, than what you had. So that's one of my biggest whys. And the other why is, you know, I, I just love uh, the hustle. I love the game. I love the deal. I love that in America, you can literally start from zero, from scratch, and build whatever you want to do. As long as you've got the hustle, the drive, and the motivation, you can literally turn your life into whatever you want. Uh, and that's my other big why is I, I literally have the freedom to do whatever I want to do. And if that's build a $100 million business, I can. Um I, somebody has a good quote out there and I'll, I'll butcher it, the quote and the person who quoted it, I'm sure. But I think it was Jim Rohn said uh, something about uh, you have to find a reason why or you'll find an excuse, right? And uh, and my reason why is that I just enjoy the freedom. Um, and unfortunately, in our, fortunately, unfortunately, our society, you know, freedom is money a lot of times, right? And so not having that that stress of money. Um, and when that goes away, you have more freedom, more time, freedom, more freedom to do things, travel. Um, so that's my why I just love it. I love the deal and I want to leave a legacy behind. Sure. Well, I really uh, appreciate you guys taking the time coming on, sharing your story. I mean, that was a lot of great information, um, for anybody listening. And uh, I think a lot of encouragement, um, for anybody. So if somebody wants to find out more about you or your company and kind of follow what you're doing, how should they do that? Yeah. So you need to go on uh, Facebook, um, Everstar Investments, check us out there or the website, everstarinvestments.com. We're trying to get more into uh, social media. Um, hopefully within by the end of the week, you'll see us on a few more platforms. Um, so uh, start with Facebook and then, uh, you know, next week, you know, maybe you can uh, find us somewhere else, but that's, that's the biggest yeah. way to start. With right. Yeah. And if you guys want to reach out personally, you know, you can hit us up with email too. you know, Justin at everstarinvestments.com um, or Cassidy at everstarinvestments.com. By all means, drop us a line. If you got questions about anything yeah. we talked about today, I know sometimes I am in a bad habit of just using lingo. Uh, so if you got questions, anything you want to learn more, just drop us a line. Mm-hmm. Sure great opportunity so all right thank you again guys i'm definitely we're gonna have to have you on again down the road and see the progress you've made and uh, where you're going then so absolutely would love to do it yeah we'd love it all right appreciate it and uh thanks again we'll talk to you soon all right thanks for having us 
Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey. Thank you.